So it's the year 2025 and we're just days away from Caledonian Braves' first game in the Scottish Premiership. Unlike pie in the sky, not to their owner Chris Ewing it doesn't. For over nine years he's been innovating in Scottish football. First it was the Edu Sports Academy where he gave French footballers the chance to learn the game and English in Scotland. They became the first team to earn their place in the Lowland League, but Chris didn't stop there. Now he's got fans calling the shots. They even chose the club's Braves new name. An app helps to make the decisions at the club, and Chris has earmarked a bold five-year plan to make it into the top flight. A new documentary called Brave Calling was released last week on the STV player, charting the club's rise. We'll speak to Chris about what we see in that, and what he hopes for the future. It's all here on Down the Division. Welcome along. Well, after 16 episodes, we decided it was time to take a mini summer break. Enjoy your time off, Paul. Well, I've not been away, Gareth. It was you that was away. That's how we had to take the break. I was just told we were off. Uh, you were away doing your North Coast 500 in your camper van. In fact, it's not a camper van, is it? It's a motorhome. Motorhome, yeah. And uh, I just want, didn't want to risk burnout after 16 weeks on the trot. I thought it was time to, to, to recharge the batteries. You know, it's been some 16 weeks working with you, Paul. So do you want to explain, first of all, the, the listeners, the difference between a motorhome and a camper van? Because it was an education to me, I'll tell you. It was an education to me. A motorhome has got a toilet, a shower and a cooker on it. There you go. That's a camper it. van hasn't. So, um, no, it was a great, great, uh, great week. Back refreshed. Saw some beautiful scenery around Scotland. And now ready to, uh, ready to talk more about uh, Scottish football uh, down the divisions. And uh, we're back on a brand new night as well. Back in a brand new night. Now I'll hold my hands up to that, obviously. Uh, we're now allowed to train, so we're back training uh, Monday, Wednesday, so we've had to change the night, uh, which has maybe caused a, a few problems, but uh, we'll get there. Also gives us a chance to to look right into the, the Scottish football weekend from now on, and uh, we're glad to have you all with us tonight uh, on this new night. And if you've got any comments, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Hi, Stephen Aitken, East Coast Bayern Manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Caledonian Braves owner Chris Ewing is our guest this week. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Good to have you along. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. We'll, uh, we'll chat some more in a moment, but before we do, we've got the Down the Divisions decider. As ever, one of us gives four clues for a particular year. My shocker last time out means it's still two each, and it's uh, Davis's chance to steal a march tonight. Uh, we'll bring you in on this one as well, Chris. Uh, so we're looking for the year when Edinburgh City won the Lowland League for the first time. Jeremy Clarkson was suspended as host of Top Gear. No Googling, Chris, if you don't yeah, mind. Answer here, answer here, answer here. <laughs> uh, the fourth road bridge was closed due to structural problems. And former blind date host Scylla Black passed away. <laughs> now I'm thinking, that's not that long ago, but that was a while ago Scylla died, wasn't it? <laughs> so, Edinburgh City. Any ideas, Chris? I would say, if I had to hazard a guess, which I am, um, I would say 2014. 2014. That's got Paul puzzled now. I think it was before 2014. 2012? Final answer? Oh, look. No. What a friend. 
He's grand. He's grand in 2013. We'll find out at the end of the show. I'm Cammy Bell, Queen's Park goalie, and this is Down the Divisions. Cardonian Braves owner Chris Ewing is our guest this week. Uh, Chris, we often talk on the show about the, the future of the game here and <clears throat> I was crying out for fresh ideas and shaking up. Paul, Paul and I were both aware of your story and the club's story before watching the, the documentary I mentioned in the intro. When when, when you kind of tune into it, you know, it's a fascinating watch and it also sparks other questions which we'll, we'll kind of get into <laughs> later on. But perhaps... To start with, we're probably best if we get you to describe to listeners who maybe aren't aware of your story just just a bit about the club, because I guess it's fair to say the structure's a bit different in your club to, to most others in Scotland. Yeah, that's fair to say. I think just before we start, just to get a disclaimer out of the way, um, you mentioned in the intro that we're looking to get the top flight by 2025. Um, that was before Kel taking him into the league. Uh, <laughs> you're pushing it back a bit now yeah, I think we, and it was slightly tongue in cheek to provoke a reaction if I'm being honest we'd love to get into the you know into league less PFL you know by 2025 I think that would be far more realistic um, but yeah I mean we are a brand new club um, born through Edu Sport Academy initially so uh, I'm from Glasgow I live in France I've lived in France for the last 16 years and in 2011 I set up a private football academy to bring young French footballers from France to Scotland to combine football with education um, and after a few years of playing, playing friendly games and farming guys out to local clubs, I decided that we would try and, you know, set up a team in a league somewhere. Um, and at that point, obviously, you've got a lot of different options. You get the under-18s, you get the amateur leagues, you get, like, maybe the juniors. Um, and I looked, you know, obviously, you look at where you can play the highest level possible. I looked at the pyramid system. Um, I looked at the south of Scotland, and at the time, there was the east of Scotland had two divisions. And I thought, well, you know, why not try and get into the south? Because only one division as opposed to two to get into the Lone League. Um, and we went down, Ricky Waddle, the, the manager and myself, we went down to the deepest, darkest south of Scotland for a, an AGM to pitch the idea, um, explain who we are, Edge Sport Academy and all that kind of thing. And to be fair to the clubs, they, they you know, they had a vote on it and they, they let us into the league and that gave us the opportunity to actually play as a football club, I feel like. Um, so we went and we got our club license, we got our SFA membership. That was a that was a fight, I have to say. I had to, you know, had to go back and forth before we got our SFA membership. But long story short, we actually won the South of Scotland League, got promoted into the Lowland League, and realised very quickly that we had to change the business model because bringing young French footballers into Scotland, we wouldn't survive long in the Lowland League, and that you know basically led to what is today Caledonian Braves. I love the idea. I love the concept. I love the documentary. And I actually see some kind of similarities between ourselves, Chris, because I obviously looked at a model kind of similar to this before. Probably in 2010, I looked at it and, and trying to set up the education stuff, and I ended up kind of going down uh, the different route. Even on the documentary, he says, if you build it, they will come. It's fascinating for anybody to go, and, go on and view this if they get a chance. It's brilliant. How did you just come up with the, with the idea of doing it? I think, well, just, I mean, as I said before, I mean, the Edge of Sport Academy, if I, I'm not a millionaire, you know, and, and if, even if I was, I, I don't think my wife would let me put my money just into a football club. So I realised that if we wanted to go and compete, and obviously you do if you're involved in football, you want to go and try and compete at the highest level, I had to change the business model. You need money to run a club and you need more money to be successful. Um, and as it, as it was at that time, Edge of Sport Academy, set up as a private football academy, was financing the club. So I came up with the idea to try and crowdfund the club um, and essentially sharing the club with people. Um, so I was saying myself, very limited in where I can take the club, but if we get people to buy in and type of crowdfunding, if you like, then we become stronger. 
um, and we'd have an opportunity not only to raise, raise income, but just as important, probably more importantly, um, create a community. So we are clubs, the majority of clubs across Scotland are maybe 80, 90, 100 years old. We are literally brand new. You know, we don't have a traditional fan base. We don't have the luxury of having generations of fathers and sons and daughters coming to watch the games for the last 30, 40 years. So we, we're obliged to think differently. We have to think outside the box. If, if, I, if I don't think outside the box, we're not going to survive. So we're in 2020. It's a, it's a tech generation. Consumer behaviours have changed. How people watch their football has changed. How, how they interact with their football clubs has changed. And we'll, we, you know, just essentially trying to address that. You know, and that's why we've come up with the idea um, of giving the fans the power to change the name, to get involved through content, through social media. And essentially what hopefully is going to help us do that as well as the app that we've just uh, launched last week, where essentially fans from all over the world will be able to download the app and impact the, the strategy of the club. I mean, does that even come down to, for example, appointing a manager, sacking a manager? Does it, does it go as deep as that? No, I would, I would, I wouldn't like to do that because I mean, and I, th- I think that's all, that's the challenge that we have because we talk that buzzword today is gamification, you know. So we look at apps and we look at gamification and how we can um, get get people, you know, interested in what we're doing. But you also have to, you know, keep the integrity of the dressing room and realise that people's livelihoods are in the stake, you know. And people like Ricky Waddle, who's a UEFA Pro qualified coach, would be very disrespectful to him. Not only him, but all coaches across Scotland. If I was to say that anybody could vote on the, the livelihood of a manager, that just doesn't sit right with me. Um, so, they, they, you know, fans can vote on many aspects. They can have their opinion on the coach, like they're entitled to do. Um, same as they would have their opinion on the players, and myself included in that. Every fan has that right. But we'd have to draw the line that they'll actually be able to sack managers, I think. I've kind of went back through my own club, uh, New Mains United, and at one t- at one stage they tried doing it. Uh, I think there's a documentary or one on uh, the BBC had done on them, and they tried doing a similar model. How do you get traction? How do you get these things off the ground? How do you be that little bit different? Because obviously maybe a couple of clubs have tried it and, and, and it's never kind of quite worked. I well, that's a big challenge, isn't it? I mean, t- time essentially will tell, um, and I'll be judged on my performance as the owner of the club and the, the company as how, how well I can do my job to attract that fan base. Um, so I think, I mean, you know that when we launched our football club, which was almost the transitional project between Edge Sport Academy and what is now Caledonian Braves, we had over 800 fans sign up to that from 35 different countries. And that kind of, if I'm being honest with you, that blew my mind because I'm thinking, well, there's guys signed up from literally, we have fans in Singapore, we have fans in uh, Canada, we have fans in Argentina, we have fans, literally, when I, say, I know it sounds really pretentious and I don't mean to be like that at all, but we have fans from all over the world um, and that just highlights the potential and the power of internet and people's love for football. So I think, to answer your question, Paul, how do we do it? I think we do it by being consistent, having a good message, having a clear message, being honest being transparent and actually being able to deliver what we say we, we're going to do. You know, I think there's been other people that have tried it. Um, you know, it comes back to me often about the Ebbs Fleet model because that was something that, that you know, um, Brooke Myers, I think, a guy from New Zealand who set that up, my football club, and they bought Ebbs Fleet, and that ultimately was a failure. But before it became a failure, they did raise over £700,000 and did buy a football club. Um, but they bought a football club that was existing. They bought a football club that had a fan base. They bought a football club that had politics, a football club that had history. Whereas this is my football club. It's Chris Ewing who has created this football club. And what I'm saying is, guys, you know what? Alone, there's no way I can take the club to where we need to be. But together we can. So if you want to get on board and if you want to have a voice, 
Um, and if you want to help me shape this club, then the, the, door, the door's open. Obviously, you, in the documentary, and I'm obviously speaking to you in France just now, how do you manage that? Obviously, see, you brought your wife and, and your, your girls over to the, to the game. How do you manage that? So it must be quite difficult operating from France when the team's over here. Um, no, really. To be honest, I mean, it's, the hardest thing for me is on a match day has been away because I feel really frustrated because it's worse being stuck in Paris listening to the game or watching it on Twitter or whatever than, than actually being there, you know, because you just can't, you can't do anything, even if you're there, but you just feel that you're sharing with the boys. So that's the hardest thing. Um, but I totally trust my staff 100%. You know, I'm very, very lucky with the staff I have. Um, and they manage the club um, for me when I'm, when I'm not physically there. We're in constant communication and they understand what, what vision I have for the club and they implement that. You know, so so in terms of actually being able to run the club, I have absolutely no problems with that. But I think as well, since we've been down at Alliance Park and since we've launched Caledonian Braves, there's been a hardcore of people that have actually wanted to come and get involved and, you know, stupid wee things but it's the, the, the lifeblood of the club is make teas and help with the kit and um, you know do the tickets and help with all sorts of things around the stadium and that's something that we've never had we've never had that so even that has progressed and, and that gives me hope that we can continue to grow that and, and what I do see that's fascinating for me is those guys that I've just mentioned they genuinely have an affinity towards the club you know they, they, you know, they, they come they, they may be Aberdeen fans or they may be Sport Rangers or Celtic and Caledonian Braves is our second club, but they genuinely do have an affinity for the club, and that's something that we have created. It's something like two years ago the club never existed, and now these guys who literally, you know, come to the games actually have a real affinity and are real, real supporters, real fans of the club. So that's that's for me is very positive. How do you attract these these people as uh, families, you know, from of players, or is it just people that have just picked up on it and says I, I, I want to go along to Alliance Park on a Saturday and sell a 50-50 draw is it come I, on listen see one of the guys one of the guys that came we call him the first ever fan the guy who's in the documentary Eric Watson he's a retired nurse brilliant guy but he actually saw us playing down in, I think it was down in Annan years ago as Edge Sport Academy and I think he just heard the French accents and he came to watch the game and he just liked the way we played football and he, he never left us he came to every game and he comes up now and again to Alliance Park and he's now a club official so that's a, an HP story, but to answer your question, I mean, people come from all over just because they like the idea of it, they like the concept, they like the, the ambition, I think, that we're shown as a club, and I think they just like the opportunity to be involved in something from the beginning, and I always say it's something that, my favourite word in life is opportunity, um, and this is just an opportunity, I mean, who knows where it'll take us, but it's an opportunity to get people involved, and if we get enough people to buy into the project, if enough people actually believe in it, then then who knows where we can go. And that, that's what's exciting. And we have a fantastic vehicle through football. I mean, football is a wonderful um, vehicle to bring people together. And that's what we're trying to do, create that community. Can I ask, Chris, how, how does it work in terms of you talk about you know, the fans voting on things? Presumably, there's a there's a membership aspect. And, and, and I think it's kind of you know talked about a bit in the documentary. I presume then that these fans are paying what is it is it a set fee per month to be able to to be able to partake in the decisions and to be able to partake in the club? Yeah, of course it's not. It's a yearly it's a yearly membership fee. So the pay the app itself is free to download, but there's a there's a paywall. So there's certain areas that you'd have to actually pay a, a membership or a premium fee if you like to, to be able to make decisions and watch uh, live live games, exclusive content. It was for nineteen ninety nine, so it's less than twenty pound for a year. Works out less than what fifty p a week if you like. Um, I think you probably get a pie and a bovro at uh, a program at Ibrox or Parkhead for twenty quid these days. 
Um, and, and as I've said often, you know, if it gives people an interest, if on a Saturday they can come down and feel part of something or they can watch the club from afar and feel part of something and get involved, great. Um, if they don't like it and they've, they've paid 20 quid, that's too bad for me, you know. Um, you know, But, the, I mean, the idea, again, like I said, is being honest with people, giving the opportunity and giving them a real voice. And, and that's, I think you look through foot, football across Scotland and even further afield and there's more and, cl- more and more clubs that are going towards fan ownership often going towards fan ownership because the clubs have been mismanaged by their directors and fans have come in essentially to bail out the club. Um, so there is that kind of as a movement and it's becoming more and more um, you know, pertinent in the modern modern game, I think. You've attracted some big names at the club in terms of your, your own manager, Ricky, and I see Simon Mens in there, and I think Colin Cameron was there at one time, wasn't he? He was, Colin Mensa, yeah. How do you attract these guys? The new club, obviously they built... Lots of teams out there be looking for these guys, surely are talented guys. How do you uh, attract them? By be, be, being honest with them, um, you know, and sharing and, and allowing them to share the vision that I have. Ricky Waddle, for example, you've mentioned Ricky, Ricky's, and you've mentioned Simon and Colin Cameron, um, you know, pals as well, not just coaches, not just employees, mates, because they all buy into what we're trying to do together. Um, and any football club is only as good as your, your staff and your coaches. And Ricky Waddle actually came to do a set. This is a funny story, but we used to, we had just bought Academy back in 2011 or 2012, back when we first set up the Academy. Ricky came in uh, as a favour to Chris Hillcoat. I don't know if you know Chris Hillcoat. Yep. Hilly, they used to play for Hamilton Ackies. He was my coach at um, the Academy years ago. And he came, Ricky came in, and there's photos of Ricky kicking about somewhere, and he looks about 12. Um, so Ricky's been about since day one as an Academy coach. He came in. Just as a, as a, you know, as a, a kind of session coach, and he's been with me ever since. He went to Rangers full time, um, and he came back. He was at St Mirren, came back. So, and Ricky, I think if you're, you need, I'm not, I don't want to speak for Ricky, you know, but I think what Ricky does is he believes in the project and he believes in the opportunity, and he's excited by the fact that we do things differently. And he has very much an opportunity to put his mark, and he already has done, but he has an opportunity to put his mark on the club. Um, and there's the relationship that I have with Ricky is very complicit and based on trust and I think it's very it's maybe a relationship between a, an owner of a club and a, a coach that you probably wouldn't get elsewhere you know you obviously touched on that the fans can't obviously sack Ricky and, and, and that's obviously saves your brand as well doesn't it because it, it protects it uh, is it kind of based then on the Barcelona model where, where you can vote in presidents and things like that? How does the actual voting structure work and what are, what are people actually voting on? So, socials, I mean, that's very popular in, in Spain, isn't it? The socials where the fans actually do have a voice. So if I was to put that to you, right, imagine um, you're a fo- you guys are football fans, right? If, if you were to say, right, here's a brand new football club, um, what do you guys want to be able to vote on? What do you want to be able to influence in your club? Bruce, I mean, it could go anything from the strip the team runs out to 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 player signings to the makeup of the board, the makeup of the board agendas setting agendas for the board, um, cho- choosing for example are we, are we going to have a nominated charity? What is it? Is it a mental health charity? Is it something homeless? X Y you know there's loads and it's these little things that are actually huge things because people actually have a voice on that now. How many clubs in the history of Scottish football have allowed fans, 800 fans from 35 different countries, to choose the name of a football club? It's never been done before in Scottish football. Um, how many football clubs have allowed their fans to make a vote on anything via an app? Never been done in Scottish football. So these are things that are brand new. Um, and it's something, if you 
Imagine a year ago you guys had signed up for this project and you said, you know what, I like Caledonian Braves, I'm going to vote for that. And then three, four months later, you have a team running it on the pitch called Caledonian Braves, and you have you have you have had an influence in that, you know. So that in itself is is ex- I think it's exciting. I think it's new, it's innovative, um, and and basically the, the list is endless. You know, we also have a section on the app where actually fans can make proposals. So it's not just a case of us saying okay, let's vote on that. It's actually people can say, well, you know what, um, we want to have a women's team, for example. So somebody could make that proposal, and then I would be as the owner, I would say, well, listen, guys, that's a great idea, but here is the this is how much it would cost. We might have a problem with pitch lets. This is, you know, and we need to think that through and we need to look at it and it gives fans an opportunity to be involved in the running of a club. So, and it's, and you, you know, better than anybody, Paul, it's, it's not, it's not paradise, you know, there's ups and there's downs, you know, and, and they, they sign up for that as well. So they have to know the, con- the constraints. Um, and, the, you know, it's, it's been well received so far. I get why you started your own team. I've I done the exact same thing. So, my vision at the time, I'd worked in a few different senior clubs. I looked at how clubs were run. Uh, the town I'm from, uh, Kirkluck, had a brand new stadium built. Uh, there was a junior set up there. And I, and I kind of looked at the same thing, setting up setting up our own club. But eventually I hit my head off a wall. I was trying to get our own ground. And, we were, and it, it was just a nightmare. And then the opportunity come to go to the juniors and, and we merged the team. You're a Pollock man. Would mm-hmm. it not have been easier for you to have just kind of, suppose, done what, what we've kind of done and merged with a a, a junior club? Because these clubs are struggling. Or did you feel that it had to be a clean break? It had to be uh, where there's no kind of older guys on a board type thing? No, I mean, I, I never. I mean, if you're asking me, would I like to have my own team in Pollock playing in a ground, i.e. in Pollock? Yeah, of course I would, because I'm a, like you say, I'm a Pollock boy. Um, never in a million years thought about merging with Pollock Juniors, if that's what you're saying. And I don't think even if I had thought about it, that would have went anywhere because Pollock are a fantastic club in their own right with a, an amazing tradition. And there's no way that they, I don't think there's any way that they would actually accept um, us jumping on board and, and merging. What I did think about, though, a couple of years ago is I approached Third Lanark um, mm-hmm. and I thought about taking over them and using them and basically give, having a platform to take Third Lanark and giving them the club club licence that we have and bring, basically bringing them back from the dead if you like into senior football um, and I spoke with them at length and it's something I thought about and it's something they were quite keen on um, I decided against that though because I didn't want to have I didn't, essentially I didn't want to live on off of the back of somebody else's previous success um, so I thought you know what we're our own club we're our own identity this is a new project there's something new there's something fresh about this there's something uh, international um, a lot of people have criticised us for being at Strathclyde Country Park and not using Bordwell or Strathclyde in the name um, but for me um, and this might turn it to be the downfall of the club, hopefully not, but for me this project is an international project it's about trying to attract people across Europe across the world, across Scotland um, and I was very keen to avoid you know, that kind of colloquial feel of being too local How much is this uh, taken over your life? I mean presumably I don't know if you've got a full-time job in in in, in France. I mean, how, how much how much time do you have you devoted to this? And and I mean, people talk about sacrifices, don't they? I presume you've sacrificed a lot of time to to, to bang your head against brick walls a few times until you've eventually found the right you know option and, and progressed it on and that kind of thing. You know, do, do you know what, uh, Gareth? That's I probably won't put enough time into it if I'm being perfectly honest because. Yeah. Um, 
I have the, the bread and butter for me is obviously Edge Sport Academy, so that takes up the majority of my team. That's what you know, essentially where I make my living. Um, and I also last year I launched a cola, so I have a cola called Alba Cola, um, which went to market last year. So that's taken up a bit of my time as well, and that's probably the biggest frustration I have because I don't feel I have enough time to actually um, put 100% of my energies into Caledonian Braves, and that really sometimes it, it drives me crazy because I see the potential there. Um, but I know if I was to put 100% of my time into Caledonian Braves, then the academy would suffer. Um, so, so it's trying to find the balance. And of course, I have a young family as well. I get three daughters here in Paris, and they obviously are the priority. Um, but it's, listen, it's exciting, and as much as sometimes it's frustrating, I feel like I'm a very, very lucky guy. You know, I have um, to, to own a football club and have these kind of projects, and do a documentary, and have an academy, and and all those kind of things. So. As much as sometimes it can be frustrating, you know, sometimes I just need to take a step back and just say, well, you know, we've came quite far in the last few years, we're in a good place, um, and we've got a lot of opportunities, so, well, so it's all good. Most of all, a good thing as well, sorry, that, you, that, that you're in Paris as well, because sometimes just being that step back from it gives you that bit more clarity, doesn't it? Certainly, we know, you know, you're here every day, you're in the... I've got my own business as well, but you're at the club and you're doing various stuff and you find yourself getting caught up in a lot of it. Being being away in that, me step back from it, obviously lets you uh, build the picture to, to make it succeed. Uh, totally, we came back. Um, when I set up Edgesport Academy in 2011, I came back to Glasgow for a year with my wife um, and I had one daughter at the time. My wife was pregnant and actually Eloise was born in, in Glasgow. So I often joke that uh, two of my daughters were born in Paris and one of them was born in Govan. <laughs> we'll see how that turns out later on in life but, um, but, but it was great to be back in Glasgow but it drives me absolutely crazy because there's no I, I realised there's no way I would have an academy if I stayed in Glasgow because the guys the young French boys were driving me crazy they were driving me nuts so I was like you know it's better for me being away from that do you know what I mean on a day to day and let other people deal with that and manage that so that's why I have to have a good staff and I've, I've got a good staff that deal with that for me maybe Phil which is all good I think um, I think the sort of What's happened during the pandemic has shown how how reluctant Scottish football is to change and has been to change. And for all the sort of positive, you know, the positivity, the enthusiasm, there will be cynics listening to this programme saying, how's that going to work? No fan base, no benefactor. You know, if, if, for example, I mean, I think there was one comment towards the end of the documentary which suggested that the forums had gone quite a bit quieter for a bit. I mean, is that the fear that, that I mean, that, that if the forums go quiet or if, if, if the membership stops or if the fans don't, t- you know, t- turn up, is that where the kind of the, the issue might might come? No, see, see, to be honest with you, perfectly honestly, I came, I come from Paul, I came to Paris with £40 in my pocket. 40 quid, I came to Paris when I was 24. If I ever think about anything like, oh, we're not going to Snowy Walker fan, I just remind myself, I came to Paris with nothing. I'm married, I've got my French nationality, I speak French, three beautiful daughters, um, I have an academy that's very successful. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen in life? The worst thing, the worst thing can happen, literally the worst thing that can happen is, it doesn't work, I can't afford to run the club, the club gets folded, and that's it. It's an embarrassment, and that's obviously nobody wants that, but that, that's the worst case scenario in life. And then what do you do? You just go back again. You find the solution, and that's the same in any walk of life. But what, what's, the, what's the alternative? The alternative is that you're so frightened that you don't do anything. So frightened that you, you just... Ha- see, if I was, see if I had no ambition, I would be sitting back with Edge of Sport Academy, I'd have 30 students every year, I'd make a good living for myself, and I would be smoking cigars. Right? But the worst... You know, one of the worst things I've ever done 
but one of the best things at the same time was getting the team into the league. Gave me so many headaches, but it, you know, and it's financially, it's it, you know, it's, it's a stress. But 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 it is what it is. You know, it's I'm a footballer. I used to play football. You know, I'm a football guy. I love football. I love the dressing room. I love all that. Um, and again, it's an opportunity. And imagine on the flip side of that. Imagine it does work. Imagine we build this community. Imagine we do get 100, 200 people down to Alliance Park on a Saturday. Imagine we start competing. We start finishing in top four. Imagine we get a wee run in the Scottish Cup. And then you say, well, you know what? Not no so bad after all. And see the guys that criticise, and I found this, you know, not just with myself, but I found that generally the easiest thing to do in, in life is criticise people. And generally, I've never had anybody in my experience who's been successful criticising anybody else. I've not seen it. I've not seen anybody being successful who's actually criticised people. People who are successful don't care, really. They just they go about their own business. So you genuinely find that people that want to criticise or who are sceptical, yeah, you know, you maybe say, well, what are you doing in your own life? Do you know what I mean? First and foremost, you know. I think if everyone had that attitude in life, what a world we'd live in, isn't it? Because you know, even even putting your head above the parapet and doing a, a podcast, people people will comment, people will sneer. But uh, yeah, yeah, that tends to speak. See, I mean, I go and I'll go, I'll go and find Bovron and again, I'll have a look at some of the stuff that people are saying. Um, and we, we Edusport Academy has been marmite um, because, like you said earlier on, guys, people don't necessarily like change. Um, they, they don't like things that, that kind of rock the, the status quo. They like they, they like comfort of tradition. They like what they know. Um, and some people just don't like ambition, just quite simply. But what I found is even people make negative comments, um, and I'm quite open-minded. And if somebody's got something to say, I'll look at it, and I'll always question myself, say, well, maybe that guy has a point to a certain extent because I'm honest with myself. So I know when people are right, actually, you know, um, but also know when people are just trying to, um, you know, just be nasty or just trying to criticise for the sake of criticising. And generally speaking, if people are critical in, in a way, you know, that's non-constructive, it probably speaks more about them than it does about, about anything else. Do you know what I mean? Let's be honest. I mentioned the fan base in terms of, you know, the, the walk-up the walk up crowd on a Saturday. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how do you go about, or first of all, how vital is that? And, and I presume you, you obviously want to grow it. And how and then how do you go about growing it? That's a million dollar question. So if anybody's out there who knows the answer to that, send in your CV. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I was I was joking, but it's literally one by one. You know, you get somebody signing up in the app, it's one more. You get somebody else signing up another one. You know, and it's the same principle with the football. You, you, you go to the game, next week you come back, you bring a pal. You know, and that's where um, it's up to us I mean, like anything else, it's a brand, isn't it? It's a business. You want to sell a coffee, you need to promote your coffee. You know, you want to sell a, whatever business you're in, you're a joiner, you need to, you need to go and tell people that you're, you're, you're there. Do you know what I mean? You need to go and promote yourself, promote your brand. And then if people employ you, are you the joiner? You need to be good at your job. Do you know what I mean? And it's the same with football. If people come to the game and we lose 5-0 every week, they're not going to come back. But if we start competing, if we play a nice brand of football, and that's what Ricky tries to do well, is try to, you know, a bit cliche, but get the ball down and, you know, play play it for the back if we can. And if you know if some of the goals we scored, I don't know if you saw the goal we scored against Spartans last year. Um, year before that, several service strollers. I think we we, we scored um, goal of the season two years in a row in the Long League. But anyway, you know, long story short, if people come and they enjoy it, and if we can put on a wee bit of hospitality for them, um, then hopefully they come back. You know, we obviously are a North Lancashire team as well, and we deal with the same guys at the council as, as you guys do, and. Well, North Lancashire Leisure, and they've been nothing but first class to us, honestly. They've, they've helped us out where they can and all that. 
couple of times last year we played at Alliance Park when our ground is out of action. What a setup down there. The two stands. It's a great environment to actually go and watch football. You've, you must be pleased with, with the work that's been done there. Aye, I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, I know I was listening to your podcast with Swifty last week. You know, I know George and I know BSC and it's a club that interests me as well because I know that they're ambitious and, and they have a great setup, um, Broomhill, in terms of youth clubs and, you know, working with youngsters within the local community. And they're, they're playing at Alloa. Um, you know, and it's it's just so difficult to get um, a facility that can be club licensed in the central belt, particularly in Glasgow. So North Lanarkshire are very keen to work with us from day one. So we can only applaud them for that, for having that kind of open-minded approach. We also looked at working with Glasgow Life before that and no, basically just no interested, do you know what I mean? Um, well, North Lanarkshire were saying, OK, what can we do? Um, and then eventually, obviously, now we're, we're playing in Alliance Park, which is fantastic for us. It's, you know, maybe just unfortunate it's not really well served by public transport but it's you know it's a good location it's in the park it's it's ours to the extent that it's our home ground it's not ours obviously North Lanarkshire Leisure own it and we're tenants but it's ours and as much as it's our home ground now we don't ground share with Annan like we had before um, and it's good and it helps as well when you I mean it's little things when you're you know you can go train and you can go in for a cup of tea before training or the coaches can you know take time after training to have something to eat with the boys or you know even when it comes to signing players um, you know, guys maybe coming up towards the end of their career, maybe no fancy driving all the way down to Annan every second Saturday, you know, at Alliance Park's 15 minutes outside Glasgow, so it help, all, that, all that helps. I was just going to touch on that, uh, how's the crowds differed, obviously down in Annan, did you get like a lot of the local support, maybe from surrounding villages come to Annan to watch you, or are you getting more of a crowd up at uh, Alliance Park? I know really, I mean, and this is, you talked about me being able to, you know, my investment and actually working for the club and that's sometimes where I feel like I've not done a great job because I've not been able to engage with the local community, particularly down in Annan, because we knew that that was only going to be a kind of short-term solution, I feel like. Um, now at Alliance Park, we have that opportunity where we can actually go and try and engage with with the local community where we can maybe try and look at schools, giving them free season tickets or working with local businesses to give them, you know, advertising and different things like that. Um, but but one thing's for sure, it's not going to be a quick fix, you know, it's going to take time um, and it's like everything else. I mean, how do you go and compete with your Motherwells, your Hamilton Ackies, obviously your Rangers and Celtics? Um, how do you go and do that? How can we have a, you know, a point of difference? Um, is it the fact that we're brand new? Is it the fact that we have the app where people can actually come and, um, you know, be involved in the club? Only time will tell. Um, so it's up to us to get that message across and then it's up to Ricky to get the, the boys in the park playing well. I found some of the stuff in the in the documentary, the more interesting stuff as well was the away from the pitch stuff, like when you went and did the the brainstorming session with the with a brand com- with a branding company when you were kind of going through the through the the possible uh, names that you were going to use for the for the club. It did, I mean, obviously, branding doesn't come cheap. You know, PR doesn't come cheap. But is is that something that you feel, particularly when perhaps it's being it's something that's being ignored by the, a lot of the established clubs. Is that something that you feel is important in a in a modern kind of football world? If you like, when you're competing against other sports, other activities, and so on. I think so, and that's again where here in Scotland and Scottish football were really, you know, we're almost you know hindered because of the tradition. You look at, I mean, I'm a big fan of American sports. I love the NFL and even the MLS to a certain extent, and they have obviously the franchise model there. And you look at that and it's, you know, they have new logos, they can set up in different cities and there's just something really cool about that and something really fresh and something really modern. 
So again, like I said, fo- football is changing, you know, and, and the demographic and s- consumer behaviours and things are changing. You know, it's not the same as back in the seventies. You know, I know at the end of the day, football's football, but still, we have to think a wee bit differently. And that's where I think we have an opportunity to go and do that, and get that message across, and attract a younger generation of fan, attract families. Um, you know, the, the people that have been interested coming to the games locally, just been parents with their kids. How do we get involved? There's a family season tickets, all that kind of thing. Um, can we maybe go and work with MNDs to get something where, you know, we get you know some kind of collaboration where the families can go to, to MNDs before the game or after the game? So there's all of that, but that's all challenges for us to go and look at now, you know. My name is Brown Ferguson, manager of Linlithgow Rose, and you are listening to Down the Divisions. BSD manager Stephen Swift was on the show two weeks ago. He's been busy in the transfer market this week. He's brought in ex-Queen's Park striker Alfredo Aguiman and midfield powerhouse Conor McBrady. Cabernet manager Chris Strain has added Tony Coots from Pollock. Liam McGuinness has also returned after a spell managing Cabernet Laidside. Troon have landed Josh Black from Ross County. Algon City have signed forward Joel McBeath, previously of Ross County, on a two-year contract. Albion Rovers have, have signed former Hibsman Paul Kearney. They've also brought in Lewis Baker from East Fife and Scott Glover from St Mirren. Brother Glenn, Glenn Cairn manager Willie Harvey has appointed experienced defender Tam Miller as the club's new captain. He takes over from Tony Fraser, who has become the club's first team coach. Irvin Meadow have brought in Mark Wadrobe from Bonnet and Thistle, while winger James Miller has joined Kaluk Rovers after spells with Castle Mount Dynamos and Colville Park. Glen Afton Athletic have signed Leon Murphy on a permanent deal after a loan spell there from air in the 2018-2019 season. And Anbank United have added Declan Murphy. He's previously played with the likes of Kilmarnock, Airdrie and Strenra. Hi, it's Martin McKinnon, Port Manager here, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. We've talked about what you're doing with the Caledonian Braves at the moment, and I'll come back to the Airdrie Sport Academy a little bit in a second as well, just to maybe dig a bit deeper into how that that works but I mean your, your background in the game I mean you you played for a spell didn't you you, you had a playing playing days and and, and how, how was, was that sort of are you a are you a guy now who's maybe li- living the dream because perhaps playing wise you weren't able to get there and, and and now this is a different route where you can actually achieve in football yeah living living the nightmare don't know that living the dream <laughs> but um I tried to play a wee bit um I always say I was a brilliant player until I signed pro <laughs> and then I became bang average. Um, so it was really good growing up at, you know, school football and that kind of thing. I was, you know, better than the rest. Then I signed for Motherwell when I was young. Uh, get an opportunity to sign there in YTS. Um, talk about shock, you know, you go from being the best player to just literally being really average because everybody who's signed, they're all the best players in their school, you know, and then you have to take the step up mentally. Um, and I, I couldn't do that, to be fair. I, I, when it became a job for me, I, I fell out of love with the game. Um, it became a, a chore. Um, really unfortunate because you look back and you think oh, it could have been good to be a footballer um, but yeah no, I was after a couple of years I was released from Motherwell and I went to play at Stranraer and I just kind of found myself good in, in the divisions but I was honest enough with myself that I realised that I, I, I just didn't fancy it I didn't have it in me to go and really fight and you know really make it I, didn't, I, I just didn't want it enough you know and I can look back now as an adult and say that you know really honestly and openly I always used to say to myself, I didn't want to be one of those guys sitting in a pub saying, oh, I could have been a player, you know, but I get a knee injury or whatever. So, um, but again, yeah, I'm very fortunate because I still work in football. Um, 
you know, I, I make a living uh, through the academy, which helps impact young footballers positively through education and, and you know, cultural exchange and, and travel and all that kind of thing. So, so I'm delighted, you know, what I do in my job and um, to own a football club as well is something I never thought, you know, as a young boy growing up in Pollock, one day you'll own a football club. So it's funny how, how life um, how life turns out and where it takes you. You mentioned earlier you turned up in France with £40 in your back pocket. How, how did all that kind of come about? Yeah, I came, came with 40 16 years ago. I think I got 25 left. So <laughs> I'll see it last. Um, but no, how, I mean, I used to have after I realised I wasn't going to make it as a professional footballer, I went to America on scholarships. I got a scholarship in New York, so I lived in New York for a while. That changed my life because I realised there was more to life out there than just than just Glasgow, as much as I love Glasgow. Um, and then I went to Florida, I came back. I was working in a pub in Glasgow called The Bunker. I'm sure you, you, may, you might know it, Paul. Yep. I've been in there. <laughs> so anyway, I was in there. and um, a victim of that pub. <laughs> so I was in there working and was work, just kind of working minimum wage. And I was after, the, I was up in the art school for a, a beer and a, friend, a French girl came up to me and she said, this is no word that I lie. She came up to me and said, I like your T-shirt. And I had a, just had that red T-shirt on. So anyway, long story short, we hooked up a few times. She went back to France. She was on a, a kind of Erasmus program at Strathclyde Uni. Um, and I said, and she just said to me, do you want to come to Paris and see, like, you know, just try Paris? And I thought, you know, why not? So I literally went to Paris with £40 in my pocket, two £20 notes. I remember it well. Um, and I had a Ryanair ticket for 10 days. And I thought, I'll try and um, see what happens when I go to Paris. I was actually quite naive, actually, because I thought 40 quid would last me for 10 days in Paris. Do you know what I mean? I was like, mm-hmm. um, and then I found a job in a wee pub. Uh, I found a job in a pub in Paris. And the 10 days came and went, and I stayed. Um, and then that turned into 16 years. And I'm married to, not the same girl, I have to say a different girl, but married to a French girl, um, three kids. Could, do you mean, did you speak the language when you went out there then, or was it a whole sort of in at, in at the deep end? I hardly speak English when I went there. I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean French. But no, it took me a while to learn French, because I never really, see when I went over there, I didn't really think I was going to stay. I didn't have any, you know, vision or ambition to stay. I just went over as a young guy, but, you know, rock and roll, just go and try Paris and see what happens. Um, but then obviously I realised, OK, I'll stay a wee bit, and then I started learning the language a little bit. Um, just used to ask questions all the time. What does that mean? How do you say that? And after about three years, started stringing sentences together and then um, bilingual. Your wife that is there, your, your, your three kids are over there. Yep. Do, do you classify it as home? I totally. I mean, it's, it's the best thing I've ever done was, and again, I have to say I love Glasgow and I love coming back to Glasgow. Um, but it's been the best thing I've ever done is, is leaving Glasgow. Um, you know, I was drinking very heavily at the time. It was not much happening for me. Um, in France, as I say, France has given me the opportunity. Um, I've worked hard to take the opportunity, but France has given me the opportunity. Everything I have in, in, in life is, is through the opportunity that France has given me. Very privileged and proud to have just got my French nationality back in January. So I'm actually French now, um, which is quite strange and bizarre to say that I'm French and I have a carte d'identité. Um, but no, it's been good. It's been it good. And it, the thing is, it goes so fast. Do you know what I mean? It only seems like last week I was coming over here and then 16 years later. Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, but I know it's good. Paris has been good. And there's worse places to, from Pollock to Paris. I see you're sporting the Paris Saint-Germain shirt there. Do you get along to the games? I do, now and again, I do. I But it's really hard to get tickets. Now. In fact, I'll show you this. Look, if you can look up there on the wall, you'll see uh, Ibrahimovic Zlatan. And the one club, and the one club logo there as well. 
Aye, so um, no, I do. I go to I go to some of the PSG games where I can. There's also a club in Paris called Red Star. Um, you might know playing the uh, League Two. Um, and they play on a Friday night, and I tend to go there more than I go to PSG. The, the atmosphere's good, and it's just a small, it's a really old school stadium. It's one for the football romantics. Um, good, good fans, and it's just uh, you know a really good atmosphere, and it's it's good to go. And you can take the kids, and it's only like six quid a ticket or something. At PSG, it's like seventy euros or something like that to sit um, miles away for 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 the park. And you've you touched on earlier that you've got your own cola brand, Albert Cola. Yeah. Where's that sold? Is that Sold in France or is it is it oh, here? It's all over. It's well, it's in over two hundred um, places in Scotland, all over, like wee cafes in Shetlands and places up in the Shetlands and all that kind of thing. So, so that was another kind of strange one. That was a kind of midlife crisis, you know. Some people going buy a car, I decided to create a cola. Um, so it's been a lot of work, but it's been good as well because again, it's just something, just the whole concept, actually creating something, you know, having an idea and then you know making it happen and taking it to market and. You know, selling it, so you know that's been exciting as well. You guys have not tried it, no? Never. I need to get you. Uh, need to get you some some uh, some cans in then. Be a new show sponsor, the Albacola. Yeah, that's the future, Paul. I like it. Uh, <laughs> Albacola. In in terms of uh, in terms of Paris, what, what what is it that made you stay? I mean, I know you met your your wife, but what 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 do you like about about French lifestyle? To be honest, see when I came. Uh, it was a, probably a really dark time in my life because I was young. I'd just been back from America. I was quite depressed because you could probably imagine living in New York and Florida and come back to Pollock. Um, you know, so it took a bit of get, getting used to it. I was drinking heavily. Um, my dad had no long passed away. I was staying with my mum in Pollock. Um, and I came to Paris. And it was Initially, it was great, Paris, because it's Paris. It's like exciting. But then, like everything else, and all the wheels off. So after about five, six weeks, I'm, I'm working in a pub for minimum wage, I'm sleeping on people's couches, don't speak the language. Basically, reality check, and I'm basically saying, Well, what am I doing here, and where am I going? Um, and I think probably I did, it was a really defining moment in my life actually, because I think a lot of people at that stage would have probably said, You know what, I'm getting back to Glasgow. But I thought about it, and I thought, You know what, it's, if I go back to Glasgow, there's nothing to go back to. They're just going to go back to sleeping on my mum's couch and probably trying to get a job labouring or, you know, or working in a bar again. And, you know, so I thought, You know, just I'll just stick it out. And eventually I did, it get better, and then I met my wife, you know. So it was just basically. Um, just basically st- sticking out a wee bit, you know, until it get better. Um, and then, like I said before, it just passes by so quickly, you know, just before you know it, a year's gone and then you start speaking the language and before you know it, that's it. So we flip it back on to football and you're out there. How did you get that opportunity for the Edu Academy? Was it because of your experience in America, you're thinking we could run a kind of scholarship model and nobody was doing it in Scotland? You know, or were you working in a college or anything out, out there to I, the, the idea? I will see him. My first job was in a bar, right? So for the first year and a half, I was literally drinking, working, drinking, sleeping, working. And it was just like, and I thought after I was like, you know what, that might be um, heaven to some people. But after a year of that, you know what I mean? I had to change, had to get out of that scene. So I, I started thinking, what can I do that would get me outside the bar work? Um, and I had the idea um, to actually phone up PSG. I know it sounds really um, bizarre, but I actually phoned up PSG and I said, Are you guys looking for a coach that speaks English? Um, for your like your summer programs, you know, like the soccer schools and stuff like that. Um, and they gave me an interview, and I kind of pretended to speak a wee bit of French, but basically they just wanted an English speaking coach, and they gave me the job. Um, so that was great for me because then I could say to everybody, yeah, I'm a coach at PSG. Um, so then I phoned <laughs> up, I phoned up the American School of Paris, which is a private school, and I said to them, I'm a ex-footballer from Scotland, and I'm a coach at PSG. You're looking for a coach for your school. 
um, and I got a job as the American school uh, varsity soccer coach. Um, and that, that led me into my first business, which was called EduSport USA. And I placed young French students in scholarships in America. So I placed over 150 guys in colleges in America. And that was my first business. Um, and that, you know, and I got the bug really for working with young guys every day, like, uh, like an academy environment. And, you know, I realised a lot of great players in France, particularly Paris, but the level of English is no fantastic. Um, and it was based on my own experience in America, you know, combining football, uh, education and, you know, travel. Um, I set up Edusport Academy in 2011. Um, you know, and the first year was really average. I had, if I'm being honest, I had no clue what I was doing, as you can imagine. You know, you just have this idea, you set it up and you, you pull things together and you just kind of buckle yourself in and hope for the best. Um, but I quickly learned on on the job, so to speak, um, and I made sure that the second year was better than the first year and the third year was better than the second year. And now we're into year nine, going into year 10. Um, we're members of the SFA. We started off with 18 students. Now we're up to over 80. Um, I launched, as well as having a football academy, I also have a rugby academy. Um, I launched a basketball academy this year as well. Um, and we're looking to open up an academy next year in Malta. So a lot of things happening, you know, and it's been great to see. Um, you know, and great to work with good people. I mean, as much as I've worked hard for it, it's down to the coaches, guys like Ricky, who also work in the academy, Simon. Uh, Chris Divers, you know, Richie Salveta, just all the, all the guys that have really just helped me along the way, do you know what I mean? How, how does the actual academy side work then? I mean, I mean, I guess we, we see some of it in the documentary, but is it that, that French players apply the French side and then through that they come over and there's a there's a day and or, or, or do they have a trial in France? So how, how does all yeah. that work? Yeah, so ge- generally speaking, I mean, obviously it's been a bit difficult with COVID and things like that because recruitment's been difficult with, you know, you can't do trial games. But generally speaking, we'll have trial games all over France. Um, so we'll sit down at the start of the year, we'll copy a calendar and we'll say, right, on the X, Y, Z dates, we'll go to Marseille, we'll go to Lyon, we'll go to wherever. Um, we'll advertise that, boys will sign up on the website and then I'll go to Lyon and there'll be 40, 50, 60 guys there. We'll, we'll host the trial matches um, and we'll select the players. And we, we, I mean, this is a misconception. I just put it kind of, I mean, a lot of people, I think, initially used to think it was I was some kind of agent trying to get guys into pro clubs and all that kind of thing. And it couldn't be further from the truth because the idea is all about development. Um, and if any young player wants to come to Scotland just to be a professional footballer, quite simply, I won't take them because it's just going to lead to disappointment at the end of the day because nine times out of ten, they're probably not going to have that opportunity, you know. So the guys come based on their personality, based on their character, based on their understanding of the programme and, and their willingness to learn. And if we feel that the guy is a decent guy and wants to come to Scotland for the right reasons, we'll bring him on the programme. And then it's like everything else, it's up to him to work hard to not only become a better footballer, but to speak English, you know, because as a young Frenchman, um, if you speak good English, if you're bilingual or almost bilingual, it's literally life-changing for you. And, and do you then put them through... English classes as part of the the scholarship under the Edu Sport Academy kind yeah, of brand, if you exactly. So the three three key elements to Edu Sport Academy is the sport, it's the education, and it's the kind of cultural element. I feel like being in Glasgow. So we have a partnership with the City of Glasgow College. So the guys will come to Glasgow for a year. Um, they'll stay in student accommodation in Glasgow. They'll go to City of Glasgow College in the mornings, and then the bus will come and take them to Lions Park in the afternoons for fo- for football training. Um, and then they'll play either in the under-20s league um, or they'll play in the south of Scotland league or we also have a team in the Bucks Championship, um, which is the university league, and we also have a futsal team. So so I so, so kept, kept busy. I actually drove by just before lockdown. Uh, a couple of months before lockdown, there was a game on, so 
uh, a drove in uh, and it was actually two of the academy teams playing each other and it's a real sense of community isn't it a real the boys is a real closeness amongst them I was sat in the stand and they're all chatting away they must and we all live with each other and get on really well See, to be honest with you, Paul, everything comes down to a state of mind, do you know what I mean, and what the guys, what we say in French, a display, you know, so it depends what their attitude's like, if they come over, see if they come over with a good attitude, willing to work hard, willing to embrace the programme, and they realise it's no paradise, there's ups and there's downs, and there's times where they're going to, you know, be disappointed, there's times where they're going to be injured, there's times where the Glaswegian accent's going to be too hard for them, if they, but see if they come with that attitude to work hard and just come for the right reasons, they'll love it here, because they get good coaching, as much as we like to criticise ourselves here in Scotland, it's a great footballing country, good level of coaches, and for the most part, we've got a friendly disposition, which the French boys really, really love, and they really take to that, you know. So since I set up the academy, it's been overwhelmingly positive, and the feedback and the experience that the guys have had at the academy has been brilliant in terms of how much they love Glasgow, how much they love Scotland, the coaches, all that kind of thing. The only thing they don't like is the food and the weather. <laughs> <laughs> and have any of the boys... Stayed on here and, and, and made a life for themselves over here, like I, you did in France, or have any of them went on and kicked on and actually got themselves into a pro club? Aye, well, there's been a few. I mean, um, one, of the, one of the boys actually still in Glasgow, a boy called Nicholas, who was in uh, the academy, one of the first groups, and he actually has a child. He actually is with a Scottish girl and he has a wee baby boy. So it makes you feel old when your, your students start having families. But great for him because he's stayed in Glasgow and he's really embraced it and he's cracked on, you know, and he speaks English and you know, there's been other boys who went to America on scholarships. One one of our players, a young a young goalie who was freed from Racing Club de Lens, came to the academy, signed for Morton for two years. Uh, it was the Morton team that famously beat Celtic 1-0 in the League Cup. He was the goalie. I think Celtic had something like 27 corners in that game and they still couldn't score. Um, and he ended up, he got a move to Atlanta United in the MLS. So, it's not, you know, it's just opportunities. There's guys who've signed pro in Iceland and Northern Ireland and all that kind of thing. Majority of guys will go back to France, um, but it's like everything else. It's only an opportunity you, if you want to stay in Glasgow and come and you know make it happen. You know, work hard, find yourself a girlfriend, get a flat, whatever you want to do. It's you know, it's no, you don't have to go back to France. Um, so and that's what it's all about. It's about giving them that opportunity to grow up and you know find a bit of confidence and. You know, I often joke, but it's you come as young boys and you, you leave as a man kind of thing, you know. It just struck me there with with you having made France your home. Had you ever considered doing anything on a Caledonian Braves scale in France? Had you looked at the football scene there to see if there was scope to do that there? Um, I know something really that, you know, I don't, nah, it's, I, would, I would probably wouldn't go down that road because Scotland was the obvious one for me because I'm Scottish. Um, we know we know the system in Scotland. We know the, the setup. It's a, Scotland's a small country as well, you know. And let's be honest about it, everybody knows everybody in Scotland when it comes to football. Um, France, it's a different animal. It's a big country. There's a lot of arrogance here in France when it comes to football, um, you know. So it's, it would, would have been a totally different proposition. A lot of people ask me, would you bring Scottish players to France to learn French and have that experience? Um, I don't know if that would work because I think one of the big attractions to bringing French players into Scotland is the fact that they can learn English. Um, I know that's debatable, learning English in Glasgow. Um, but, but you know what I mean? Um, so I so I don't know, but it's still, I mean, I'm always looking for new opportunities. So one, one day, you know, maybe do some camps here in, in France for Scottish kids if, if there was a market for it. Just to round things off on on, on going back to the, to the Braves, if, if somebody said to you, I don't know, three years ago, 
four years ago, you'd be where you are. You'd be finishing where you are in the Lowland League right now. W- would that have been ahead of where you'd hope to be? Would it have been on? Part, would it have been part of the course? Would you have hoped to have been, you know, further up the league, if you like? It's a good question, but it's a difficult one to answer because I think if you'd asked anybody in the Lowland League or anybody in Scottish football where the Lowland League itself would be three years ago as today, you would never have thought in a million years we would have some of the quality of players playing in the Lowland League that we do at this stage. So that's it's you know it's it's unheard of. You know I think I think next year the Lowland League will be the most competitive league in Scottish football. I think it will be the league where you'll have your most value for money, um, and I think you'll see. You know, I think you'll see some fantastic games of football in the Lone League next year. So for us to be able, first and foremost, to, to participate in the league, um, consolidate our position, um, I think is is great. So it's much, I mean, it's, it's like everything else. You can be ambitious, but you have to be realistic. You have to be intelligent with your ambition. You have to at all times remain humble. You have to remember where you came from. Now, I always remember that we had to go down Ricky and I, didn't we? Um, I think it was bigger for that AGM down in south of Scotland. So we'll never get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, I also remember that we applied to join the Lone League twice. We were rejected twice. Um, the first time I flew from Paris to, to Scotland and they told me that we could not be um, admitted into the league because we didn't have Scottish Football Association membership. Um, the second time we were rejected and they would not tell us why we were rejected. We had no feedback. Um, I remember as well that the SFA rejected our membership the first time um, and I had to you know, to be fair to Stuart Regan and the board, they gave me the opportunity to go and, you know, kind of fight, fight my case, I feel like, and we eventually did get SFA membership. But all, all of that to say is, you know, without looking at the past, you know, it's, it's good to remember where we came from. It's good to remember where we are. Um, and we, we never get too far ahead of ourselves. So next year will be like the, the old cliche, um, you know, trying to improve. Um, it's, this is the first season, if you like, that we will be able to actually keep the majority of our squad because every year it was the academy players and it's, you know, recycling and it's literally starting every season with two or three players. So this year we've been able to keep the majority of the squad. We've added some quality players. Uh, Big Andy Dewey, who had a lot of experience at the back for us. Jack Smith, who's a proven goal scorer. We've managed to keep Ross McNeil um, and Neely McLaughlin uh really, you know, key players for us last year and the young players that we had last year obviously they've had that experience so they're a year wiser um, so so we're in a decent position, you know, we don't have the money to go and compete um, without, you know, speaking about our clubs but, you know, like your, like your Kelties and your, your Bonnie Riggs and your East School Brides we, we, we can't compete with those guys because we don't have the income streams that they have through gate receipts um, and sponsorships, so we have to think differently, we have to create a culture, we have to have a different way of um, are doing things and that's why again Ricky's so key because he shares that vision with, with myself you've, you've got the forums you've got the app you've had all these various different novel things for Scottish football have you got any other plans you know, in the pipeline for more innovation um, not really so much more innovation you know I think um, we'll just, for our club we'll just wait and see how things go we're looking to we just launched a campaign called Braves Equals um, because up until this point, it's just been myself basically who's run the club, if you like. Um, and I'm at a stage where, if I'm being totally honest, I need, need some help. You know, So we're looking at recruiting four to six um, non-executive independent directors who will come in and, you know, with different skill sets. And we're looking to recruit, um, you know, people from, you know, a mod, like a non-traditional background, if you like. You know, we're looking to, to recruit progressive professionals 
um, from like creative and tech backgrounds to help the club. So that's something I think that will help again innovate even further um, and hopefully help you know kick the club on. And it doesn't have to be people who live within 10 kilometres of the, the ground. You know, it can be literally, it can be somebody in America, it can be somebody in France, it can be somebody um, in Glasgow. You know, and that, that's the power of what we're doing today. And I guess it's been, the whole thing has been your baby, if you like. Are you, I mean, when you bring more people in, I guess there's always that element of possibly diluting control, if you like. Is is that something that you're comfortable with going forward? Is necessary if a club's to develop? I'm, I'm, I always say you have to be honest with yourself. And you have to do things for the right reasons. So if I'm doing this for the right reasons, which is open up my club, um, then then I'm doing it for the right reasons. And I also want the right people to come in and help and be part of that. You know, and I, th- I think, see, see, when I set up this programme, uh, our football club, and then obviously the Caledonian Braves, and I see that there's people in Singapore signed up, and there's people that actually come to the games and they volunteer to make the tea and the coffee, then I realise that this, okay, it's a business model. But it's actually much more powerful than just a business model. You're actually impacting people's lives. We have a fan who said that Caledonian Braves helped him come out of um, a, a, a really serious depression. Um, if we've helped that guy, and if it's only one guy, you know, find a bit of confidence in himself and come down to the games, then, I mean, that's that. surely that's what the project's about, and that's what football's about. What I'd like to do eventually once we build the community is actually sell part of the club uh, to the fans, because for the moment they pay £20 to be involved and make decisions, um, but it's quite simply, it's a subscription model. Um, so we'd like to get to a stage further down the line where we can actually sell the club to the fans and it could be fan-owned. Um, that's the, the next step for the for the club a wee bit further down the line. Yes, you've still got, albeit you are where you are now, you've still got kind of stages in the future where, I mean, I know we talked about 2025 at the start of the show, but, you know, you've, you've got kind of uh, marking blocks and, and plans to kind of keep things going and, and where you want to take the club eventually. I d- definitely. I mean, and it's something that, you know, any football club, I guess, worth its salt would have that kind of development plan in place, you know, and I think that's something that, that we've been certainly guilty of up until now is just kind of living year to year and hoping we can sign players that will, you know, keep us in the league or finish maybe higher up the league. But I think where we're at now with the club and with the opportunity we have with the app is to sit down um, and say, right, where do we genuinely want to be in two or three years and how are we genuinely going to get there and how, how, how how's that going to look? Um, and that's that's basically where we are at the moment. I think one of the things that comes over from the documentary is the passion and the honesty in the club. It really does. It comes over. Even speaking to yourself tonight, Chris, I think it's a, a fantastic opportunity for, for people to get involved. Is there anything that you would kind of like to, to put out there to promote the club a little bit more while you've kind of got the airtime? Because we want to make sure that we've covered everything with you because it really is an exciting project. No, I mean, I appreciate that, Paul, I appreciate the opportunity. I, I would just say if anybody is, you know, even just curious, um, you know, just I would just ask people to have an open mind. That's all, you know, I always say the first step to making change is having an open mind to something better. Do you know what I mean? Um, so you can be a Rangers fan or a Celtic fan. Um, this this can be your second club, you know, just download the app, have a look at it. Um, obviously, at the moment, um, we're a little bit limited in terms of what football content we can create until the season starts back so once we get the season started back again up and running we'll have excellent content um, we'll give fans a real voice um, at the end of the day if, if you know, they fancy it sign up um, 1999 you know, it's no, hopefully not going to break the bank um, and I always say you'll get out of it as much as you put in so people that want to get involved in the club and make decisions make proposals come to the games get involved in the, the community I'm sure they'll really enjoy it and that's something that we should 
sometimes I think we have a wee tendency to forget that in football. The, the bottom line is we should be enjoying it. Do you know what I mean? We shouldn't be always criticising and looking for problems. We should just be saying, you know what, guys, it's a game. We're loving it. We're passionate about it. Um, and let, let's go and have a wee bit of fun. So if this project where you can download an app and put proposals and you know voting things, if you can't have a wee bit of fun doing that, then where can you have fun? Do you know what I mean? So that's who, who, who does, yeah, how does the content aspect come through then, Chris? Have you, have you got, is it volunteers? Have you got a production company? I mean, is it related to the branding company that we see in the documentary? No, but we have um, we have staff basically in-house who come in and do bits and bobs and we have obviously we create a content plan and um, you know, the, the idea behind the club is to create, it's a bit of marketing jargon, but storytelling, you know, so so you can actually be anywhere in the world and you can get to know Ross McNeil or Davy Sinclair um, or Chris Ewan or Ricky and you can say, oh, he's an idiot or he's funny or he's brilliant or whatever, you know, and, and people people like that, particularly in lower league football because it's real football, it's real people, you know, they can feel a real association and dare I say it, and I, I, some kind of identity to these guys because most of the guys, in fact, all of the guys are part-time footballers, so they'll have a day job and they'll come in for their work, they'll get their dinner, they'll go back out, um, and they'll, they're playing football at that level. The guys like David Winters, uh, Sinky, they're playing football at that level because they love the game. Do you know what I mean? So I know for a fact, see, see if they mentioning David Sinclair because he's one of the, the more experienced players, big Andy Dewey as well. See if those guys, they don't need to play football. You know what I mean? They're playing for it playing because they, they like it and they enjoy it and they, they love the game. So it's up to us as well as a club to be able to provide that opportunity in that environment where they, those guys can enjoy their football. Um, and that's the same for the for the fans. You know, we want them to enjoy being part of the club as well. Great part in the documentary was seeing the supporters actually being in the supporters' houses and especially the couple who lived on the farm. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was brilliant. Has there been any uh, requests from... STV to kind of carry this on because I think there's a there's a bit of a cliffhanger there at the end to possibly continue this documentary. I mean, we've no spoke about it. I think it would be good to see if we can get the viewing figures up. Um, you know, the first couple of days it was seen by over like 2,000 people, which was great. Uh, so we need to try and keep promoting that and keep, keep you know, hopefully, I mean, you saw some of the, the success that the, the documentary got, the BBC documentary on Fort William, like amazing success. Um, the documentary in Kashmir as well, got a lot of success. Yeah. So I mean, if you're a football fan at all, I'm sure you would enjoy it. You know, I mean, it's, it's sometimes a wee bit difficult for me because I'm I'm heavily involved in it and it's difficult to get that wee bit of distance. So it's always nice when I hear people like yourself, Paul, and, and some of the feedback we've had, people genuinely just enjoy it. And it's a, all right, it's a football documentary, but it's for me, it's it's about people. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's all right, it's football club, but it's just about people and it's about hope and it's about having a project and trying to do something. It's a wee bit of an underdog story. Um, and we'll see you next year. Like I say, I've been saying this every year, but next year's a big year for us. <laughs> <laughs> we actually yeah. produced, we produced a documentary at our club and it was a volunteer that come up and done it and it was brilliant and actually when it, when it snapshot it throughout the year it actually when you actually look back you think you know you have done that and you can actually see the milestones and see what you've achieved and on the back on the back of ours we have had people saying is there going to be another one is there going to be so I think I think you'll definitely get that, especially being on STV. See, I saw that documentary and I think it's brilliant. You know, just a club like yourselves in the lower leagues doing a documentary and just opening up to, to, to letting people in. I think it's brilliant. You know, and one of the things, I mean, the, the documentary essentially is a marketing tool, if you like, because it gives a bit of brand awareness to the club and people actually get to know what, what's going on in the club and they get to know the people. But if I'm being honest with you, I'm just really privileged that I was able to do that for myself. Not necessarily for myself, but for my daughters and my wife. So, 
in 20 years time they can look at that and say oh you don't mind that time when my dad had a football club I'll remember Caledonia Braves when they just started it and look where we are now so it was almost a wee bit of a personal thing um, and, and if it works as I've said before if it works great and if it doesn't work then it's the world's most expensive DVD and everybody, <laughs> everybody's getting one next year for Christmas <laughs> Just for anybody, anybody who's uh, listening who wants to watch it, I take it it's just a case of going to the STV player and searching Brave Calling. Would that would that get them to? Aye, it? Um, yeah, it's on STV player, um, Brave Brave Calling. Yeah, that's the one. And if anybody wants to download the app, it's available in the App Store and Google Play. And it's um, just type Caledonian Braves into the search, or buy a can of Albacola. Albacola. Yeah. One thing at a time. One thing at a time. We'll uh, we'll include links to uh, to the documentary and the app in the in the show notes. I'm David Gormley, manager at Rossville Football Club, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the the Down the Divisions decider. I know you're hanging on, Paul, here to find out the answer to the to the clues. Just yeah, a uh, mail out. Just a reminder of the clues. Edinburgh City won the Lowland League for the first time. Jeremy Clarkson was suspended as host of Top Gear. The fourth road bridge was closed due to structural problems. And former blind date host Silla Black passed away. Chris, you said 2014? Yep. Paul, you said? 13. 15. Ah. 2015. <laughs> I was going to say that as well. <laughs> so near. So near so far. Uh, Chris, thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the show tonight, and uh, I think uh, as the documentary showed as well, your your passion and your enthusiasm for the for the project has shone through again tonight. So we we wish you well with all of that, and um, as I say, we'll put all the, the links in the show notes to uh, to try and help generate a bit more bit more uh, that way as well. So hopefully, you get a few more few more clicks. Appreciate it, Thanks very much, and get yourself down a game, get your cup of tea. Definitely, thank you. We'll take you up on that offer. Uh, don't forget, you can get in touch with the show with comments or suggestions for people to speak to. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions. Down the Divisions.